that. So let's get right to it so I can hold to my promise. Luke chapter 2, if you would take your Bibles and go there, Luke chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. And then I'll come back later and I'll do verses 10 through 14. So if you want to stay open to that, you can. Always want to encourage you, if you are on the YouVersion Bible app, you can find our notes on there as well. And that's just an easy way to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a phone, and you just like to sit and watch, we have what we call the really big Bible up on the screen, or up on the wall, so you can follow along with there. But we're going to continue on in this series, and today I really feel led of the Lord to talk about one specific subject in this message, that no matter who you are, where you've come from, what you're going through, or what you're going to, this is something that applies to everybody in the room. Would you just look at your neighbor real quick and say, this applies to you? Now look at the other person you just ignored and say it to them too. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Here's, here, here's what it says. It says, in, the, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. Now, this was the first registration when Cornelius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his hometown. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Today, if you're taking notes, I'm going to just give you one word, and this is just going to be the title, and it's just fitting for the Christmas season. I want to talk to you today on the subject of peace. Would you just look at your neighbor, the second one that you ignored, and say peace? Good. Now everything's equal. Everything's equal. I want to talk to you today about peace. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for your word. We pray that it would speak to us, that it would help us, and that it would challenge us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. I want to read you a couple stories that I found that I think are quite hilarious. The first one's called, The Phone Call That Brought Results. Now, an elderly man in Phoenix called his son in New York and said, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you that your mother and I are divorcing. 45 years of misery is enough. Pop, what are you talking about, the son asked. And he said, well, we can't stand the sight of each other any longer, the old man says. We're sick of each other and sick of talking about this. So you call your sister in Chicago and you let her know. Frantic, the son calls his sister who explodes on the phone. Like heck, they're getting divorced, she shouts. I'll take care of this. She calls Phoenix immediately, screams at her father, which you're not supposed to do that, You're not getting divorced. Don't do a single thing until I get there. I'm calling my brother back, and we'll both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't do a thing. The old man hung up the phone, turned to his wife, and said, Okay, they're coming for Christmas, and they're paying for their own plane. (laughs) Ladies, you'll like this next one. It's called The Wise Women Versus Wise Men. If the three wise men had been three wise women, they would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, clean the stable, and make a casserole before heading home. (laughs) And all the ladies said, amen. Little weak, I got to say, if I was, never mind, moving on, because I don't want to get in trouble. (laughs) Last one I'll give you, a Christmas letter to God. This is my favorite story. If you've heard it before, you get to suffer through it, just like you did the Christmas video, because I show it every year, and I don't care. 
says a small boy was writing a letter to God about the Christmas presents he wanted badly. I've been good for six months, he wrote, but after a moment's reflection, he crossed out six months, and he wrote three. After a pause, that was crossed out, and he put two. There was another pause, and that was crossed out as well. He got it from the table, went over to the little nativity scene that had the figures of Mary and Joseph. He picked up the figure of Mary and went back to his writing and started again, and he penned these words. Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again. (laughs) The end, the end. Leave that one there. I was thinking and praying about what to share with you guys today, and as I was doing that, I was obviously reflecting on the Christmas story. And, you know, some of the ideas around the Christmas story can give the impression that in the Christmas story, everything is just perfect, everything is peaceful, and everything is bright. But in reality, the Christmas story, unvarnished, has some very real elements of hardship, of challenge, of turmoil, and heartbreak. The scholars tell us that Mary was probably somewhere between the ages of 13 and 17 years old. Joseph would have been in his 30s. We have a term for that nowadays. You know what it is. Then, not officially married yet, Mary finds out that she's pregnant, which in that custom of the day would ultimately shine you and keep you away from not only your families, but also the culture and also the people upon which you live. You would be put in a place where you were completely shunned. Now, she tries to tell everybody, trust me, the Holy Spirit did this, and she ends up having to deal with the weight of the disbelief and the rejection of those that she loved the most. When you go and you read the account of Joseph, Joseph begins to doubt on what he should do or what he shouldn't do. Should he run or should he stay? Should I stay or should I go? And so he, he doesn't really know, like, what am I supposed to do? And he realizes that if this gets out, uh, we got some major, major issues going on. And that's where we picked up the story as they decided to go ahead and continue on. The story, again, filled with hardship and difficulty. Now, why is it so important for us to understand that the Christmas story has more hardship or comes across with all of the different challenges as we probably want to where we go to the other side where it's just joyful and it's peaceful and it's happy. And I think the reason is this, is because if you look into the nature of God, it's as though God wanted to send his son into one of the most challenging scenarios possible so that you and I would always know that God understands the hardship of the human life. When you look through the history of time and you understand the time upon which Jesus came, matter of fact, when you go and you begin to understand the first time that God spoke since the Old Testament, there had been 400 years of God going completely silent. From the time it was written in Malachi to the time that he begins to unveil to a group of people that a Messiah is coming, God has been quiet. What does that mean? That means God would speak through prophets of the Old Testament. He would somehow sometimes speak through situations on the earth and in the land, but prophets weren't speaking any longer. For 400 years, God remained completely silent. When you look at those 400 years, you begin to see the landscape begins to change of who's in power, who owns, and who runs everything. But it's a hard time. And yet God shows up at that hard time, I think, to tell you and I something. And you can write this down if you want to. There's nothing you'll go through 
that God doesn't understand, that God doesn't get. Matter of fact, when you look at the life of Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus was tried and tempted and put through everything just as you and I are. So when we understand God and when we understand Jesus, we understand that they understand what it is that we are going through. So one of the primary themes when you look at the Christmas story is that peace is offered as a result of Jesus being born in this little town of Bethlehem. So I want to give you some points today for something to hang your hat on, and then we'll, we'll end our time and we'll go eat. Sound good? The first thing I want you to write down is this. I want you to write down peace on earth, but then I want you to put a question mark after it. I put a question mark on this often heard at time Christmas phrase, peace on earth, because I'm convinced most of the world is missing what the Christmas story actually teaches. We hear songs about peace on earth. We send out Christmas cards that say peace on earth. And there's this assumption that somehow the Christmas story promises peace on earth but then it just doesn't seem to deliver on that promise. I'll prove it to you. Why is it at the Christmas time that more people feel everything else but peace? Financial pressure, family tension, loss, crazy people driving on the road, crazy people at a parade so you can go nowhere downtown, the crazy person grabbing the gift off the shelf that you need for your kid, and you know if you don't get that, ki- that gift, that kid is going to give you a handful on Christmas morning, and then they're going to ruin it, and then you're going to have to ground them, and then there's nothing for no one else. <laughs> Why is it that the Christmas time seems everything but peaceful? Am I the only parent in this room that understands that pain? See, if Christmas, if peace on earth was the reality then especially during the Christmas time when Jesus came, wouldn't we have peace? But when you look around our world, you you really don't. If you look up the phrase, peace on earth, fun fact, it's only found one time in the Bible. And this is what it says, Luke 12, 51. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? This is Jesus speaking. I tell you not at all, but rather division. Can you imagine going out and get a Christmas card with that scripture on the front? <laughs> Let me just send this to you. <laughs> Merry Christmas. You see, the concept of peace on earth, as popularly presented in our traditions, it doesn't exist. Truth is, you can't look at what's going on and say since the first Christmas that there's been peace on earth. In fact, in the past 3,500 years, there's only been 286 years of peace on earth. There have been 14,351 wars. 3.6 billion people have died in those wars. And there have been over 8,000 peace treaties, most of them which did not last. So here's the thing. If we're waiting for peace to come on the earth, newsflash, it's not coming. This world will always be at war, at division against each other. So Christmas isn't peace on earth. However, there's great news. Christmas says, watch here, regardless of what's going on in the earth or all around, you can still have the peace of God in your heart and in your life. For the Bible says in John 14, 27, I am leaving with you a gift. Everyone say a gift. What's the gift? It's peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. 
You see, one of the greatest testimonies you could have right now is to be able to say in the midst of all turmoil and all confusion and all the pain in our lives that I am experiencing more peace in my life than ever before. It's a gift to you and I. John 16, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have, what's that word say? Peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Aren't you thankful for the promise of peace that God and only God can give? Wow. I don't know if I'm convinced. I'll give you another shot. Are you thankful for the peace that only God can give? And everybody said... Amen. Sometimes it's good to say amen, even if you don't feel it. Sometimes you got to say, okay, God does offer peace. Thank you, God. Right? Some of you are like, I could use some more of that. Fantastic promises from God. So here's the question. What's out there to steal our peace? If peace is possible, then what are some things that begin to come at you and I that begin to rob us? And here's where Pastor Practical gets very practical. The first thing is simply this. You got to have, there's, there's what we call unavoidable circumstances. Things that you didn't create and things that happened to you. All of us in some way have experienced unavoidable circumstances. It's a part of life that we got to begin to live with. Look at the words of Jeremiah 4.20. Disaster follows disaster. The whole land lies in ruins. In an instant, my tents are destroyed and my shelter in a moment. If there's anybody who ever understood unavoidable circumstances, it was Jeremiah and a lot of people through the Bible. How about this one? Second, unbearable people. Don't look to the left or to the right. Unbearable people. They begin to rob us of our peace. Come on, be honest. Have you ever had a person, like you're having like a really good morning, a really good day, that cup of coffee really set the tone, and you got out into the world, and you were driving, and everybody's waving at you, and no one's cutting you off, and in the San Luis Obispo, there actually is a parking spot for you when you go somewhere, and you pull up there, and you go, and then you get into your job, whatever it may be, and everything's going well, and all it takes is one word from one person or one email or one comment on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, MySpace, Snapchat, Pinterest, LinkedIn, all of it. All it takes is one wrong thing and that peace that you had, gone just like that. You ever experienced that before? Yeah, unbearable people. Say, how do I know if a person's unbearable in my life? You avoid them at all costs. That's how you know they're unbearable. But then Jesus comes along and says, you have to love them. There you go. That went over good. <laughs> Psalm 109.3, David, they have also, you guys are funny. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. You ever felt that before? Unbearable people, man, they could rob you of your peace. Next, unexplainable problems. Unexplainable. Now, I'm a very practical guy. And it makes sense to me when problems happen for a logical reason. Does that make sense to you guys? But have you ever had something happen to you where it's like this and this happened and you just can't explain why? It could rob you of your peace. I know this plus this equals that. Got that down. It's when I can't make sense of a situation and it's unexplainable. And have you noticed that unexplainable problems, we spend a lot of time really trying to explain them? There's just some things in life you'll never be able to solve. What do they say? Sometimes there's problems that can't be solved, but there's a tension to manage. 
like, you know, always working for a boss who just consistently puts you down or whatever the case may be. You can fill in the blank. Like, you can't sometimes get rid of things, but it is a tension that you can begin to manage. It's difficult, but it can rob you of peace. The last one is this, and I believe this is an epidemic in our world. It's uncontrollable worry. I, I think in this time, we all, everyone in this room, goes through things where we begin to worry. We may fight it. We may not want it, but it's there, and at times, it's crippling. Jeremiah, again, coined these words in, in, in chapter 6, verse 24. He said, we have heard the report of it. Our hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken a hold of us. Pain as of a woman in labor. Worry and worry. See, some of us have faced amazing, difficult situations this year. Am I the only one that's kind of faced that? Show of hands, like you just faced some stuff. Cool. Some of you got the alligator one going. Cool. All together. I tell people all the time, I think, you know, people say, we don't have a lot of things in common. Could be right, but I do know what we do have in common. We all face worry, anxiety, doubt, fear. I believe worry, anxiety, and fear have affected our, our world in a way that it never has before. I believe that we're seeing things in our time that past generations didn't see. And it's not to say that past generations didn't have it hard because they did. But I believe we have an epidemic of anxiety and worry and depression and fear that are crippling people's futures in a place. And it's just worry after worry after worry after worry. Yet Jesus comes thousands of years ago, lives an amazing life, hangs on a tree, the third one, and pays for all of that doubt, that anxiety, that fear, and that worry. See, I'm here to tell you today that if maybe you're not used to church, I want to let you know, no one's putting you down here. No one's pointing a finger at you. If it's been months, maybe even years since you've been in church, you don't have anybody in this place going, well, it's about time you got to church. You know what I mean? You got none of that here. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you our church in, in just one statement, okay? Jesus is everything. Anything you have going on in your life, any worry, doubt, fear, anxiety, whatever the case may be, Jesus is the answer to everything that you are facing. And when we celebrate this Christmas season, of course, we're celebrating that he came and all the prophecies came true and God's word is true. And of course, we're celebrating the fact that he lived a life and he gave his life for you and I. I'm here to tell you if there's nothing else you hear today, which they tell you not to do that when you're preaching because then you completely disvalue everything else you just said. Don't care. I'm just saying if you don't hear anything, hear this. Jesus is everything. And if you submit your life to him, he will radically change it. So Jesus comes on the scene. And it gets me to point number two as we come to a close. It's not peace on earth. It's simply this. It's on earth peace. Let me, let me explain to you what I mean. Luke 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Everyone say good news. That will cause great joy. It's amazing how good news causes great, good to great, great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. 
and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Did you catch the last line? And on earth peace. If you're here today and you need peace, I'm going to show you where it comes. You ready? Next line. Those on whom his favor rests. The favor of God. The promise here is that there can be on earth peace to those whom God's favor is upon. For every person in this room that has ever invited Christ into your life, and you are working day in and day out in relationship with him, as we would say, as a fully devoted follower of Christ, I want to say this to you and I want you to hear it. God's favor rests upon you. Now you might be saying, well, wait a minute. I I don't. I I haven't given my life to Christ. Does that mean God's like upset with me? Absolutely not. He's absolutely ready to put his favor upon you. Story after story after story in the Bible, we see a God who is always consistently going after those that he loves relentlessly with everything that he has. And so if that is you here today, like I said earlier, you got no one pointing the finger at you. You got people in this room that have prayed, that have fasted, that have put this whole thing together for this point here today. There's a God in heaven who loves you. He's mad about you. He wants to be with you. He wants his favor to be upon your life. And for some of you, you've been running and you've been running and you've been running. And the question I have is, why would you want to run away from a God when all he wants to do when he catches you is love you? Why would you run from that? Now, I get it. For some of us, it could be past experience. Past experience maybe of a parent, of a church, of a leader. Could be false information of a world that would say, well, why would I want anything to do with this God? And whether it be Christmas or whether it be Easter, something that I'm always encouraged to say in my spirit is that if you have been hurt by someone, or maybe be even, even by a church or a leader, not making an excuse for them, but a human, I'd sure like to apologize for that. I'd like to apologize for any time someone has let you down, that has stood on a stage, led a class, or maybe it's a parent in your life where you just felt like you can never be good enough for God because every time you made a mistake, man, they just beat you on the back of the head. That's not God. He's a loving God. He's a good God. He wants good things for you. And I realize in this moment that the heaviness begins to draw. And the reason I want you to feel that is not because I'm a mean guy. I definitely don't want to be a mean guy. I want you to come face to face with what can be holding you back from God. Because I want you to know him in a real way. God's real. I made this statement to a friend of mine a couple days ago. And we were talking about people in life and people in the church that fall and when they fall how it usually takes people with them and in our day and in our time I feel it's fitting for me to say that when you put your hope and all of your belief on a person and they fall and you fall with them you put your hope in the wrong place you put your hope in God 
you put your hope in Jesus because he never fails. And then the hope that you put in that person when they fall, hear me, church, you don't put them down because they stood on the stage or led a class or professed to be a Christian. You don't put them down. You lift them up in prayer. You lift them up in support to the best of your ability because that's what God would do. And if God's a loving God, then we are to be loving people. Amen. Amen. So how do I, how do I seek God's favor, which results in peace? Because remember, it's the favor that results in peace, right? Peace comes when the favor rests upon. How do I do that? Very simple. Number one is you receive God's pardon. You just receive God's pardon. Sometimes governors or presidents, they'll, they'll pardon someone. With the stroke of a pen, that person is free and the record is clean. Because someone who has authority signed his name. Here's the thing. You will never be good enough to pardon yourself. Ever, ever, ever. Myself included. You won't do enough good works for God to look down and just go, well, because of your good works, pal, all's forgotten. No, no, no. There's a pardon that came. We had sin. I had sin. We all got sin. And God said, cool. Jesus. Well, I don't know if God said cool. Jesus, we got a problem. Do you want to be the answer? And Jesus stepped out of his throne on heaven and he came down as a baby. With the stroke of his pen, your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. And upon leaving this earth, I know it's a term we don't hear a lot, but upon leaving this earth, we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant because of the pardon of God in sending his son. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Amen? Our greatest need is not religion. Our greatest need is knowing we've been forgiven. And that is a daily testament to all of us in this room, no matter how long you've been serving God. You don't need a religion. You just need to recognize that God's goodness forgives you time and time and time again. Man, that's good. No, I'm not a good preacher. I'm just saying that's good. Number two is you got to run to God's presence. Listen, if you're struggling with the turmoil in the world around you, you need to know that God has given us access into his presence. The Bible says in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace. This sounds really good. Not just peace, perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The greatest thing you will do every single day of your life is get into the presence of God. Can I encourage you, friends, to create margin in your daily schedule to shut the world away and get into God's presence? Because anytime you're in the presence of God, things always change. Number three is you respond in obedience to God's principles. This is how the favor of God results in peace in your life. Many years ago, I heard some quotes from a gentleman that I admire, but he said this. He said, the Bible is not just a book I read. It's a book that I become. He said, the world will try to keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from the world. See, I'm convinced that a, I know it's cliche, and I know we put it on memes, and then we post it on social media. A Bible that's falling apart represents a life that isn't. 
You might be here today and you might want success in anything. It's noble. God's put that in you. But let me tell you how you succeed in everything you do. You ready? Read the Bible. Do what it says. That's it. No 10 steps to success. Just one. Read the Bible. Just do what it says. Friends, it'll change your life. You say, I don't understand it. Yeah, me neither. Still working on it. But you know what I do? I go back to step number two, and I get into God's presence every day. And I open up this book, and I do my best to understand this book. Not so I can be a great communicator up here. This is my calling in life. I love it. I want to be known like Enoch in the book of Genesis who walked so closely with God that the Bible says God took him. Translation, he never died a physical death. God took him. Why? Because he walked so close. I could imagine God saying, you're a really good friend. Why don't you come hang out with me? Does that sound good? I want to be that close to God. Change your life. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have those who love your law. That's another word for the Bible, who love your Bible, and nothing causes them to stumble. Lastly, and we close, is you got to rely on God's provision. The favor of God, which results in peace, is then you begin to rely on, and this word's important, God's provision. Not your provision, not your will, not your ability just to stick in life and just keep going, not in how hard you can work or who you can network with. The provision you need for your life is found only when you rely on God. Whatever you need. Listen, I can tell you God is trying to get it to you, but you have to begin to trust him. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. Friends, I'm here to tell you, your greatest need here today is God and God alone. Would you stand with me today as we get ready to close in prayer? And as you're standing, I want to just reiterate the point of a God who is with you and a God who is for you. You ever just been encouraged by someone and when you're encouraged by them, you feel like you can just do anything? You ever felt that way before? I got a buddy who's here today. I won't call him out by name because I don't want to embarrass him. But I'm just going to be honest. I was having a rough day a couple days ago. A lot of traveling going on. As many of you guys know, coming back from Israel and had some family stuff come up that I needed to be be in NorCal, unexpected. You know, those unexplainable problems that come up. It's like you wake up in the morning, you're at a workout, and the next thing you know, you're hopping in a truck and you're driving down to take care of something that's pretty, pretty important. And the next thing you know, you're gone the next day and the next day, and the next thing you know, you're trying to get ready for Christmas service. Hey. And uh, Vanessa's going to laugh at me at this one, or roll her eyes, we'll see. No, it's not a rock star. Close. But I remember uh, I love working out, and uh, my buddy had texted me and said, hey, you know, are we on for, for this morning? And, man, I was so, I was looking at my to-do list going like, there is no way, man. I am just, I got so much going. And for those of you guys that know me, like I'm a type A list. I mean, I'm just, it just ain't going to happen. And so I said, man, I, I got so much going on that I just don't think I can do it. And he was so kind with me. He's like, no, I totally understand. Uh, praying you get everything done. But then he did something that was really cool. 
showed me something that I'd never quite seen before. He then texted me back and said, hey, it's only a 30-minute workout. Let's just get it in and bust it out real quick. I thought about it for a minute. Now, I know this sounds silly. Some of you just go with me. I thought about it for a minute. I was like, you know, I'm probably looking at about a 16-hour day today. What's 30 minutes? So I went. And when I got there, we started stretching. We started talking. We started getting ready. I do CrossFit, so usually you just sign yourself up to be beat up all over the place. It's really great. You should try it sometime. And so uh, we started doing, and it was a partner workout. And I didn't know that. So we're doing this workout together. And the next thing you know, this thought comes into my brain that says, man, I'm so glad I came. I actually needed this more than I thought I did. Because I just needed to step away and just get a moment, even though I wasn't catching my breath. I was on the ground trying to breathe, but I needed it. But here's the point that got me, and here's where I felt that we should, we should close. It probably wasn't my greatest need was to go work out that day, but it was something that I needed. And I begin to think about sometimes there's things that we want, and then there are things that we need. I want you just to bow your heads real quick and close your eyes, and I want to share with you what I believe our greatest need is. You see, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. The Bible says in Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. The perfect timing of God with the perfect gift for a perfect purpose.